0: In this morning's sermon, and we touched upon the fact that, that God's plan of salvation, that it involved a suffering on the part of Jesus Christ. And this evening, and the intention is to, is to unpack that a bit more, to explore Christ's suffering in a bit more detail. And you... You might think that that is quite a a strange theme to take. Um, But friends, if we have a firm understanding of what Jesus went through in order to win salvation for us, for his people, that will bring with it a real thankfulness. And it will bring with it a zeal for Christ. So let's, let's consider that and let's, um, get to the text, so I would invite you um, to have your bibles open at first peter two first uh, Peter two and verse twenty four <clears throat> so um, in June of last year, the United States Department of Defense they finally released for public viewing something that was called the Pentagon papers, these um, highly sensitive and eagerly anticipated papers, they they documented some of the most um, important, some of the most significant political and military decisions made during um, the Vietnam War. But at the time they were released, there was an outcry. And there were conspiracy theories flying um, all over the place because although this uh, massive, this 7,000 word document was made available, 11 words were blanked out. Despite the fact that the the, the the rest of this paper was full of amazingly kind of sensitive material. It was full of top-level secrets, full of national security issues. Despite that, there was something there hidden that was deemed uh, too important to be allowed out into the public domain. 11 words out of 7,000. But 11 words that were clearly the most crucial and the most important words in the whole document. And just now, as we um, look to God's word, we're going to look together at 11 words. 11 words that I assure you are much, much more important than the ones missing from these pentagon papers we're going to pay attention to, to to 11 words that really they cut to the heart of the gospel they cut to the heart of the 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 nature of christ's suffering upon the cross so 11 words are we all ready for them they are he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So let's look at these words, these 11 words, and we're going to split them up and we're going to examine their meaning under uh, three headings. Three headings. And I'll give you those three headings just now. They are the independent nature, the substitutionary nature and the physical nature of Christ's suffering. So we've got the independent nature, the the substitutionary nature and the physical nature of Christ's suffering. So first of all, our first point, the uh, independent nature of Christ's suffering. My friends, isn't it the case that the most um, daunting, that the most um, frightening moments of our lives, that they're made all the more difficult by the absence of loved ones. Isn't that true? When we're confronted by um, a, a worrying or by an intimidating situation, we, we so often find ourselves desperate for the the company of loved ones. When we experience illness, when we experience loss, when we experience an accident or tragedy, we become desperate to have someone we love near us. We become desperate for someone we love just to say, look, It's it's okay, it's all right. I'm here. I'm with you through this. And moments of trauma they are hard enough without having to endure the the kind of the added pain of loneliness and a sense of abandonment too. And then as we consider that, just look at the text with me. Just look at the, the first two words we have here. What are they? He himself bore our sins. He himself. Now, the he in the Greek is emphasized. There's, there's, it's, it's, it's emphatic. It's he himself. It's he alone. It's he without the help of anyone else, without the help of, of anyone. He bore our sins. Jesus, he was alone as he took upon himself the punishment for our sin. He was alone. Isn't that, isn't that staggering? Isn't that heartbreaking, really? And isn't that, I suppose, all the more amazing when we consider who he was? Now, he's the son of God. He is part of the Trinity. Now, you and I, we've we've all been there before. We've been alone. We've experienced a dreadful sense of loneliness. But Christ... Christ on the other hand he had existed eternally in a relationship hadn't he he had always known communion and fellowship with god the father and with god the holy spirit christ had he had never ever truly been alone before so surely as he was for the first time, and as we read earlier on in Isaiah, when he was considered stricken by God, surely he also experienced for the first time what is the terror of loneliness. So you see, Christ on the cross, he atoned for sin, and, and those close to him, his loved ones, his, his loved ones, they... they, they They simply couldn't help him. Now take Mary Magdalene as an example. She had uh, lovingly uh, followed him. She'd followed Jesus. But now, at the cross, at this point, she could only look on. She couldn't help him with this saving work. And then his mother... His mother Mary, what had she done? She had tenderly raised him. She had cared for him. She had lovingly searched for him as he he taught in the synagogue. But she too, she was absolutely helpless as she watched those soldiers lift up his weakened body to the cross. No, you see, it's he himself bore our sin. Christ was alone on the cross. It's a miracle. He was all alone. Now, I um, read the story this week of a a little girl in the United States who who needed a a blood transfusion. So the little girl's brother with the permission of um, their parents, was, was, was taken into the hospital and was asked um, by a doctor there whether this wee boy, whether he would be willing to um, give blood for his sister. And the wee boy, at that point, he looked, um, he looked really upset, but he said, yeah, I'll do that for my sister. So they wheeled the, 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 the brother and sister away and they, 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 they do what they do they put the, the needle into the wee boy's arm and at that point um, he looked to the doctor and he asked him doctor, when do I die? and then of course it struck the doctor that the wee boy had thought that giving blood for his sister was uh, that actually meant that he himself would have to give up his own life. And the wee potty, he had been willing to do that. He had been willing to, 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 to die so that his sister would live. And that kind of uh, soppy story, I suppose it is, it illustrates for us, if inadequately, a second point that we need to consider this evening the substitutionary nature of Christ's suffering. And the words he himself bore our sin. He bore our sin. So what we um, what we have to get uh, straight in our minds here is that Jesus hung on the cross in our place. He acted at Calvary as our substitute. Christ was nailed to that cross and he took the punishment for sin instead of us. Now, if you're a mature Christian, if you are a, a regular church goer, you might have heard that a thousand a million times before. But that that doesn't mean that you don't need to pause and remind yourself of just what he went through for you. Just just think about this for a moment. You you were supposed to be there. You and I were supposed to to experience the, the, the terror, the pain and punishment of this kind of this horrible and a brutal execution. We should be so full of, of, of praise that Christ's death, that it was substitutionary, that it was vicarious, that he took our place, that he bore our sin. It is an awe-inspiring thought. And we learn, folks, don't we, something uh, crucial about this Unique substitutionary death in this verse, because that Jesus bore our sins. It means something. It means that He bore them all. He bore all of our sins. Just consider that for a moment, too. Consider the the, the enormity. Of what that means. All of our sins are born at the cross. The ones that that, that plague us, the ones that come back to haunt us and give us endless sleepless nights. He bore those sins. The repeated ones, the ones that we keep doing over and and over again, even though we so often swear that we're never going to go down that road again. He bore those sins too. The anger, the sheer impatience that has caused such hurt to others, the jealousy, the rage, the greed, the, the, the transgressions that we don't even know about, and the awful thoughts that we have had about other people Christ he took those he bore those sins he bore them all now that the word in the, the Greek the word to bear it means to, to, to carry a massive uh, an enormous an incredible weight And when we stop to consider the frequency and the seriousness of our sin, surely, as we saw and mentioned this morning, surely we can appreciate that the weight that was upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ, what a weight, what a burden that would have been. Such was that weight that the Son of God, as he anticipated what was about to happen, That at Gethsemane, what happened at Gethsemane? Well, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. What a weight Jesus bore. And he bore it all. And he bore it in our place. So, okay, we have seen then, so far this evening, an independent uh, nature. And we've seen a substitutionary nature. But we should note, thirdly, um, something again that we touched upon uh, briefly this morning, and that is physical nature—the physical nature of Christ's suffering, in the words He Himself bore our sin in His body on the tree. In His body on the tree. Now, um, you know the feeling don't you? You're you're sitting, chilling out at home, you're watching a film, and it's coming to an end. It's been a cracking film, a a, a pretty complicated but nevertheless engaging storyline. And then, as it does end, as the the credits are about to begin, you're amazed uh, to read on screen that the film that it was based on real events. This wasn't uh, from the imagination of some uh, overpaid Hollywood uh, story writer after all. It was real. You can't believe it. You didn't think for a second that it was true, that this really happened. And these words of Peter, in chapter 2, he writes these to drum home To ensure that we understand that these events, that Christ's crucifixion, that it really happened, that He really bore our sins in His body, Peter is—he's hammering home that Christ suffered physically. He suffered dreadfully in His body. There was abuse. There was torture. There was pain. There was agony. You see, we have to get this right, folks. This isn't nonsense. This isn't make-believe. This isn't some sort of crazy fairy story we have here. Our Lord suffered. He suffered. And he did so in his body. And I, I have to confess that it took me uh, ages to get my head round the next part of the verse, you see why doesn 't Peter say he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross? Why does he choose instead to say he himself bore our sins? In his body, on the tree. Why is it tree instead of cross? Well, what Peter is doing there, he is deliberately alluding to a passage in the uh, Old Testament, to Deuteronomy twenty-one twenty-three, And to these words, I'll read them out. Anyone who is hung on a tree, is under God's curse. You see, at the forefront of Peter's mind, as he pens his word, is the, is the idea that in order to atone for sin, that Jesus, he had to endure the curse of God. And really, this curse that was mentioned in, in Deuteronomy, it was the, the ultimate disgrace that could befall a man. There was nothing worse. And to those who would witness someone being eh, hung on a tree, there was only really one conclusion that could be drawn. That person, that person must have been abandoned by God. If hung on a tree, they were abandoned. They were Shamed. They were humiliated. They were truly and utterly cursed. So, no wonder then that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, friends, let's resolve not to take this lightly. Christ didn't just cease to exist at the cross. There there, there wasn't just a peaceful and a nice drifting away. No, for his people there was suffering. He was alone. There was suffering. He bore our sins. There was suffering, great physical suffering. And there was suffering. He was cursed. He was cursed. And he was disgraced upon that tree. But you might well be sitting there as Christians thinking, okay, right, Um, I get it. Um, I see the magnitude of what we're looking at tonight. But come on, where's the application of all this? How do we take this? And how do we apply it to our lives? Well, the beauty of this verse is that it doesn't finish with those 11 words. Peter also provides the application for us. He says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that, so that, because Peter helpfully provides the application. So what is it? Well he says Christ suffered so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. So what on earth does that mean? Well that phrase that we have here, that is Peter calling for a Christian counterculture. A Christian counterculture. This is Peter crying out for you and I to live lives that are, that are drastically different to those around us who are unbelievers. We are being told here to distance ourselves from sin and to embark upon an entirely new, an entirely uh, holy and righteous lifestyle. You see, we wonder, folks, don't we? We, we? we wonder and question why people don't come into our churches anymore. We wonder why we see so little spiritual uh, growth in Britain in the 21st century. It perplexes us. It, it, it worries us, doesn't it? But part of the reason that we have so little impact on those around us is that we're not listening to and we're not obeying verses like this one in First Peter we're called to be different, but we're not. We're called to live for righteousness, but we're not doing that. See, when our unbelieving friends and work colleagues, see when they inevitably become dissatisfied with their lives, we need them to look at us to look at the Christians around them and to see something different. They need to see people living lives that offer hope, living lives that radiate the righteousness of Christ. But let me ask you, do they see that? What do your unbelieving friends see when they look at you? Do they see a person living an entirely different life? A life that is lived for righteousness? Or do they just see a kind of mirror image of themselves? The the same values, the same goals, the same aspirations, the same lifestyle. See, Christ suffered horribly. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. If we want to have an effect, if we want to have an impact on those around us, we've got to stop toying with and playing with our faith. And starting now, even starting tonight, we've got to begin a new chapter of our lives. One that is shaped, entirely shaped, by an obedient response to the suffering and to the death of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And so we, uh, we close tonight, okay? We close. But not in the way that we um, so often do. Time and again, As we end our services, um, we do so kind of imploring any non-Christians in our midst to to, to realize their their need for forgiveness in Jesus Christ and pleading with them to repent of their sins. But we ain't going to do that uh, tonight. This evening, there's not going to be any kind of grand Uh, altar call. There isn't going to be any pleading or begging. Instead, as we end, there's just going to be one simple question for everyone here, okay? One simple question for all of us. See, if the plural word in verse 24 was changed, And if it were made singular, could you repeat in all good conscience these 11 words? If we change the word our to my, can you really utter these words? Are they real to you? Can you, you, can you say, he himself bore my sins? Can you say that? Can you say he bore my sin? Folks, what a, what a glorious saviour we have. That he would suffer in this way and to these extremes for folks, for people like us. And what an incredible thing it is When we can shout for joy that my sins are dealt with. That he bore my sins. This evening, we've looked at just 11 words. Please don't forget them. For these are the most important 11 words that you will ever hear. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree. Can you see it? Can you? He bore my sins. Let's pray.